Hey, before we get rolling with the message this morning, this is Least of These Sunday. So if I could have my ushers come on up. Uh, once a month we receive an offering that we call the Least of These Offering. It goes 100% to help um, the poor and the needy in Campbellsville. You guys can go ahead and just start passing those baskets right now. What we do with this cash is we keep on light bills. We go to the grocery and buy groceries for people who don't have anything to eat. We put gas in the tanks of cars for people who can't get to work and need their first paycheck, that sort of thing. So this is a really big deal to us. And I personally believe it's one of the reasons that Jesus has been so faithful financially to this church is because you guys have been so generous with this particular offering. So, Father, thank you. We love being a friend to... Campbellsville, because we really know that it's ultimately being a friend to you. Amen. Amen. Hey, everybody good? Everybody good? Man, wasn't worship worship awesome? Gosh. It's like, it's almost soul crushing in the best way. So, so good. So, uh, high five worship guys. So good. So good. Hey, if you want to open up your Bibles, I hope you brought one or at least an iPhone, flick that thing on, and you can flip to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be settling into the scripture a little bit this morning. We started a new series here last week called Cosmic Christ. We're going to be walking all the way through the book of Colossians, and we're going to look at about five verses this morning. And I hope you guys had a chance to maybe do a little reading in Colossians this this week. Did you guys get a chance to read it all? I hope you did. Hope you did. You can read the whole entire book of Colossians in some time, sometime between 12 and 20 minutes. Isn't that right, Ray? You and I, that's what we decided. You're on the 20 minute side. Ray and I are slow readers. So I'd encourage you to begin to um, soak yourself in the scripture because it's really, really valuable. All right. Well, hey, um, I want to talk to you this morning about what I would call the direction of all things. That's probably what we're going to call this message, the direction of all things. And um, I'm, not, I'm, not aware, I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but direction really matters in, in all kinds of ways. Um, and being in the right flow of things really matters as well. Um, how many of you have ever tried to cross a swift moving stream? Anybody ever done that? It's not easy, is it? Anybody ever tried to run wind sprints up a hill in the wind, into the wind? Also, not very easy. Or have you ever tried to swim against the current? Not just cross a stream, but have you ever tried to swim against the current, back up the river? Anybody ever done that? Or paddled? Been in a canoe and you had to paddle against the current? Or how about this? How many of you have ever been in a big city, maybe one you weren't familiar with, and you took a wrong turn down a one-way street? Right? Yeah. Yeah, Joe Hurchin almost killed me one time. <laughs> we were in Louisville. He took, a, he took a right turn down a one-way street, only he should have turned left. He, he nearly killed me. It's dangerous. You see, that's the trouble. We can go on to the next slide. That's the trouble with going against the currents. It's way hard, you get almost nowhere, and it can be crazy dangerous, comma, you might die. (laughs) If you're taking notes this morning, this is the first beginning of your notes. The trouble with going against the current, against, the trouble with going against the currents. Put that in your notes. 
Yeah. I want to read some scripture to you this morning. This is our passage this morning, and it's about the direction of all things. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Colossae, and he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it does also among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. The trouble with going against the currents is that it's really hard. You get almost nowhere. You look foolish. And sometimes, in the case of turning down one-way streets the wrong direction, it can be crazy dangerous and you might even die. The truth is this morning that some of us have found our identity against going in the grain. We found our identity against just in going against the grain, um, confessing the whole time that the splinters don't hurt. Anybody in here done that? Like, I've actually found my identity in going against the grain. Whatever everyone else does, I'm going to go the exact opposite. And the entire time, I'm going to convince myself and try to convince you that the splinters really don't hurt. And while there are some streams that require resisting, the Christian life can't adequately adequately be contained in any metaphor that encompasses the idea of resisting, fighting, or struggle. There are some things in the world right now that need resisting, but if you take on a worldview, or if you apply a resisting narrative to your life, you will not live the abundant, full life that Jesus is inviting everyone into. You may end up resisting as a byproduct of another kind of worldview, but to take on a worldview of resistance... That the world needs resisting. That there are evils in the world that must be resisted. There are bad people. That there are governments. That Barack Obama must be resisted. That health care must be resisted. That put put in your own thing. Whatever you want to do there. Just put it in. Like to take on this idea that Christians are resisting is invariably to divorce yourself from the abundant life of Jesus. I've met a bunch of people who resist. They're miserable. Every, Every one of them. Every one of them. See, the Christian life isn't about going against the grain necessarily, and it isn't necessarily about resistance. The Christian life is a life of submitting and of letting go and letting the current of God's life take you where he wants to take you. See, the life of God is a great river, and it gushes right out of the Savior's veins. And men and women would do well to receive it and let its current take you. You see, a man can do, a man can no more fight against the currents of anger, malice, greed, envy, or lust in inner heaven's domain than he can swim up the mighty Mississippi. Eventually, the mighty Mississippi will win and you will drown. How many of you understand that you don't get out of anger by trying not to be angry? You don't. I tried that. It only makes you more angry. If you try to get out of anger by not being angry, you will fail, you get frustrated, you get more angry than you were to begin with. It's the wrong river. It's the wrong current. There are these two tributaries in Scripture that come together and flow into one great river. 
Two tributaries. There's this one tributary, and it's the Savior's blood. It flows out of his hands and out of his feet and out of his head. And then there's this other tributary, and it flows out of his side, and it's water. And they come together, and they form this great river. And if you fall into it, it'll take you where you need to go. The main thing that you and I need to do this morning is that we need to admit that there is times in our life where we've jumped into the wrong river and we've tried to paddle upstream. Let's go back. Let's go back to the scripture. Colossians chapter 1, 3 through 8. There's a flow here. There's a flow here, and you can miss it. This is a current text. This is a text where you find your whole life. And the main thing to do with this kind of a text is don't get lost in the run-on sentences. You can get lost in the run-on sentences with St. Paul. But St. Paul has all kinds of run-on sentences because I don't know if you're aware of this, but rivers don't come in little packages, neatly and tightly ordered. Rivers just flow. So this is a passage that has flow. This thing, this thing just keeps going. It doesn't come in manageable little stops and breaks. The run-on sentences actually hint at the fact that Paul has tapped into something much, much di- bigger and much, much deeper. It's, it's actually an extended metaphor, whether Paul knew it or not, of the river of life. And the river of life has flow. The river of life has flow. Not only that, but you should probably read this passage while listening to John Coltrane. <laughs> Just wait for it. Now we can read it. Now we're in. We can't get away from it now. Right? You feel it. This is the sort of passage we're dealing with. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. As you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow beloved servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made it known to us your love in the Spirit. This is the way you have to read this passage. You need to put on some good music. It's got flow. And you should notice that this passage in some way starts at the destination and flows backwards to the source. This passage starts at the destination and in some ways flows backwards to the source. Remember last week in our introduction when we talked about the fact that this is one of Paul's prison epistles, meaning he wrote this letter while he was in prison, right? 
This is how he begins his prison letter to the church in Colossae. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Always thankful, always prayerful. How many of you would be always thankful and always prayerful if you're in prison? How many of you would like to be the kind of person who, while even in prison, could always be thankful and always be prayerful? How many of you realize at this point that Paul's operating at another level here? This is meta. How many of you realize that at some point along the way, Paul fell into some sort of a river and verse 3 is proof that he has arrived at something that's much bigger than most of us live in every single day. Not only that, but if we read this passage close, we find out that Paul didn't even plant the church in Colossae. So he's always thankful and he's always prayerful for people who are not even among him, not even a part of his particular work, people he doesn't even know. A lot of us in the room have moments of being thankful. A lot of us in the room have moments of being prayerful, me included. Usually my thankfulness and my prayerfulness centers completely on me, if I'm being honest. I'm most thankful when I'm getting good things, and I'm most prayerful when I'm not getting good things. But how many of us realize that there's another level here even of being thankful for other people, for the work that Jesus is doing in others, and being prayerful for other people even while you're in prison? See, if I was in prison, I would be praying, God, would you get me out of here? I'm not thankful at all, right? Paul's always thankful, always prayerful. Sort of the destination, if we could put it that way. It's a stunning reality that some amazing kingdom stuff had become a real part of Paul's life. But I'd like to suggest that there is something more fundamental, more basic, which drives his thankfulness and prayer. And without that more basic and more fundamental element, you and I could become the sort of people who are thankfulness and prayerful apart from connection to the current, and we could mysteriously become extensions of our own effort to swim against the currents of selfishness and prayerlessness. See, if you become a thankful or a prayerful person, apart from the current that Paul's in, all you're really doing is trying to swim against your own selfishness and prayerlessness. How many of you ever started praying or ever tried to become a more grateful person just because you realized that you were selfish and prayerless? How many days does that work in a row? If you're good, about three. The only way to get to where Paul's at is to follow the current back to the headwaters and get connected. So here's what we need to do. We need to follow the current right up to the headwaters. And this is what Paul is is swimming with. Paul is filled with thankfulness and prayer because of the Colossians' faith in Jesus. If you've got your Bible open, look at the text. Because of the Colossians' faith in Jesus. Because of their love for one another. We're going backwards here. Because of the hope laid up for the Colossians in heaven. Because they heard the gospel preached by Epaphras. Because God has worked salvation by His Son. It's the flow back to the headwaters. You can leave this up, and I want to read the passage to you. 
And I want you to see that there's a because that leads to something more foundational, that leads to something more foundational, that leads all the way back up to the headwaters. Paul says, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. He's thankful and he's prayerful because he's heard that they have faith in Jesus and that they love one another. And they love one another because of the hope laid up for them in heaven. Of this you have heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed the whole world is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day that you heard and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from whom? Epaphras. Our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Six lines there. Five of those are explicit in the text and one of them is implicit. The first five are, in, are explicit. They're clearly in the text. And because, because God has worked salvation by his son is implicit. Epaphras would have nothing to share if God hadn't done something. Do you see that? And what God has done in his son is the headwaters. That's the stream. That's the, that's the current that's moving the kingdom. The river of life has flow. And so the river that begins here, that can turn you into the sort of person who's always prayerful and always thankful, even for people you don't know, even while you're in prison, begins with the crucified Son of God. It begins with His pierced hands and feet, and it begins with the spear through His side. It begins with the blood and water meeting to form one great river. The question, though, is, can you see it? Can you see it? Can you still see the Son of God? Can you still see Jesus? Uh, One of the things that happens after you begin to live in church a while is it's actually really easy to get disconnected from the crucified, lay-down-his-life Son of God. It's really easy to forget about that. You'll just, you just get into all kinds of other things. And when you get into all kinds of other things, it's possible to get locked in a backwater, to get trapped in an eddy. Some of us in the room are, have frozen lives that are, that are not moving. Like you, the, the word that best describes you is that you're stuck. And one of the reasons that you might be stuck is that you've forgotten to see Jesus. Like it's the most basic elemental thing. The flow is a God who would rather die for your sins then judge you. That's the flow. First scripture I ever remember memorizing because I wanted to and not because someone made me. That's really different. (laughs) There's value in both. But the first scripture I remember memorizing is Romans 5a. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It actually gets better. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we now have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Like, everyone should just shout. Like, like if you lose, like, like the current is, this is the current. 
And don't let any super spiritual person try to tell you that anything is the current other than this. There are people out there who have big ministries that will try to tell you that there are other currents. There is no other current. This is the current. If you lose momentum, if you start really trying to work it up, if you start trying to resist things and, and swim against the currents of culture, man, you're in the wrong river. You've got to get back in this river right here. The one where Jesus loved you and laid down his life, even when you didn't like him and wished he would leave. That's the river. See, seeing Jesus changes everything. The flowing life is rooted in what God has done. And we never grow up from that. We never grow up from that. Some Christians are trying to grow up from Jesus crucified, buried, dead, and resurrected. I'm here to tell you, you never grow up from that. You can never lose your sense of wonder at the cross of Jesus. There is no higher revelation. There is no greater vision. There is no more wondrous wonder. Seeing Jesus changes everything, including me. If you see Jesus, you get changed. Here's what I mean. I want to talk about all those things that we looked at in the passage, passage in Colossians. Let's put it back up. Colossians passage. I want to show you how seeing Jesus leads to always being thankful, prayerful, having faith, loving the saints, and hearing the gospel. Seeing Jesus leads to all of those things. See, when you see the God who comes to man, and not just any man, but man in his mess, and rather than judging man in his mess, lays down his life, it will cause you to trust him. I mean, that's essentially the gospel. God sees people, they're really messed up, and he comes to them and he lays down his own life. And because of that, I can trust him. Can you trust a God who lays down a life for other people rather than judge them? See, we call trusting faith. I actually like trusting better as a word than faith. Faith is so crusty. Only because we've made it crusty. Yeah, when you see the God who comes to people, and not just any people, but comes to you, right when you were in a mess, and when you were most in a mess, didn't judge you, but laid down his life for you because he would rather die than see you go any other direction, you, this magical thing happens, you begin to trust him. I can trust that God. And when you begin to trust, faith sprouts in your heart. You see, God did not throw the young virgin into the volcano. This is really important. God did not throw the young virgin into the volcano. He threw himself. Totally different. See, if we live in a universe where God throws the young virgins into the volcano, how many of you understand that you live nervous and anxious? He might choose me. Especially if he's looking for someone who's not so virginous. Tweet that. 
God didn't throw the young virgin into the volcano. He threw himself. He threw himself into our, he threw himself into our fire. And so I no longer have to live in fear and I no longer have to run away. That God is trustworthy. And when you realize that God is trustworthy, faith grows. Not only that, but seeing the God who so loved the world that he gave his own son, when you really see the God who so loved the world that he gave his own son, it will cause love to grow. It will cause love to grow in your life. See, our lives have been intersected by perfect love in person. One of the great things about the gospel is that God didn't send a text message, He didn't send a letter, and He didn't send mental management. See, when you're the boss, uh, being the boss comes with a lot of privileges. Uh, uh, bosses usually have the best phones, the best cars, the best computers. And the main thing that bosses have that's really great is they have uh, middle managers. And the, the main job of the middle manager is to do everything that the boss doesn't want to do. Right? And when the world was completely absorbed in filth, God did not send a middle manager to take care of the issue. He came himself. God gave his own for the sake of love. And he let the leper touch him. And he ate with Zacchaeus, the most hated guy in town. I've been loving on some Zacchaeus lately. Shortest, richest, meanest, most vile little guy up a tree. Jesus comes by and says, I'm going to your house, bro. The middle managers never go to eat with Zacchaeus. They never do it. No, middle managers never have time for Zacchaeus. Middle managers don't let lepers touch them. But God does. And the reason that God does is because he's filled with love. The truth is, you and I have been loved to death. That's just the truth. You and I have been loved to death. And because you and I have been loved to death, you and I have love at disposal. Some of us in the room are carrying wounds of rejection. You've been rejected over and over again. You were rejected by your mama, and then your daddy, and then your brothers and your sisters, they all hated you. And your neighbor. And most of your teachers never made the sports teams. You couldn't jump high enough. You've been rejected. You've got wounds of rejection. And because you have wounds of rejection, you've been fighting the currents of anger and disappointment. This is what happens when you get rejected. You get fearful, you get angry, and you get disappointed. And at some point along the line, you became a Christian. And you realize that uh, fear, anger, and disappointment aren't really supposed to be a part of the Christian life. So you started swimming up the fear, anger, and disappointment river. But no one told you you're in the wrong river. Like You should get out. You should jump into the love of Jesus river. The reason you need to jump into the love of Jesus river is because you can't be more rejected than you are accepted. You can't. If everybody in the world said, I hate you, it is of no consequence because the Son of God says He loves you. And until you know that the Son of God really loves you, you won't have true love at your disposal.
You'll have the fake versions that come from trying to swim up false rivers. You'll build up big muscles. People will think you're so strong. You should fall into his river. You should fall into his currents, the ones that run from his hands. And when you see the God who died for you, and the God who died for me, and when you see that he was raised up by his Father's power, your life becomes filled with hope. Hope. Every time you read the word hope in the New Testament, I want you to think about the resurrection. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is a continuation of what God started in the empty tomb. But you and I don't have access to hope until we see the God who was crucified, dead, buried, and raised. Some of us in the room are swimming up rivers of hopelessness. You've been disappointed. You've been building up great big shoulder muscles, swimming against the currents of disillusionment. I'm here to tell you, you're in the wrong river. See the resurrected Lord of everything. See the resurrected Lord Jesus. And that's where hope begins to grow. Because the resurrection means that God is at work in the world. That he's already started to change everything. That his Genesis 1 plan hasn't been scrapped. It never was scrapped. And he's rebuilding it. Every single thing right down to the soil beneath our feet. Everything is going to be restored. The earth is not going to burn up. We're not leaving the planet. No one is. Heaven is coming down, and he is going to rebuild, restore, renew everything. Everything. He never, God's plan was never, there was never a blip. There was never a, wow, I wonder what I should do next. It is that he has already done something in the resurrection of his son, and that resurrection means that every single thing else is going to be renewed. Everything is going to be renewed, right down to relationships, right down to the way world economies work, right down to the way that the trees and your garden grows. Every single thing is going to be renewed. And there's reason for hope. We can have hope even if things are not okay right now. Everybody, there's enough people in the room that I already know this. Some of you guys have really jacked up lives. And not everything is okay. The good news is, is that Jesus has been resurrected, meaning everything is going to be okay. Paul says of Jesus, he's the first fruits. I love this image. I've talked to you guys about this before. When I was a kid, I lived on a strawberry farm. And at a certain point in May, we would walk down the rows of strawberries and there would on one magical day there would be the first ripe strawberry the quickest one got it and without delay ate it we just ate the one ripe strawberry the rest of the field is green however because there was one there will be more Jesus is that first ripe strawberry of spring 
rest assured, everything's going to ripen up. Everything's going to get better. Everything's already going to happen. You can have hope. Like the hope that Paul is talking about here, the hope laid up for you in heaven, the hope laid up for you in heaven is a resurrected son of God. And you won't have hope until you see the resurrected son of God. You can watch Oprah. You can take... You can take all the supplements that Dr. Oz says. You can read every periodical. You can get a self-help book a week, and you will not have hope. Hope is in a river that runs from the Savior's veins. God is at work right now, and He's working through the pain. Not always around the pain, through the pain. That's the message of, of the resurrection. Not always going around. You and I, the thing we like to do is we want to go around the pain. And... I get it, man. Nobody wants to get hurt. But God is oftentimes working right through it. And when you see what God has done in Jesus, has done, and is currently doing in Jesus, really seeing that, having your eyes and your heart and your ears opened up to that, when we grab a hold of that revelation you and I will become Epaphrases. You and I will become Epaphrases. You and I will become men and women filled with a message. You can't swim against the currents of government or no prayer in schools or some other false river. It's the wrong river. Fall into the currents of Jesus' magnificent life. If you see Jesus, everything begins to flow. Everyone who sees Jesus has a message. You know, one of the things I really hate, and I'll be honest with you about this, uh, growing, I'm even a pastor, and I'll tell you this. Um, one of the things I always hated was this pressure that was always, like anytime somebody talked about like evangelism or sharing your faith, there's, there's this uh, like pressure. Like, and mostly what they were talking about is how to effectively manipulate people. That's mostly what they're talking about, right? Anybody in the room ever been manipulated by a well-meaning Christian? That's not what we're talking about right now. Okay? That's not what we're talking about. Everybody in the room's probably been manipulated by a well-meaning Christian. Somebody who asked you, if you died right now, do you know where you're going tonight? That question misses the whole point, by the way. If you live tomorrow, do you know what's on it? <laughs> like, <laughs> if, you, if you wake up tomorrow, are you going to have abundant life? That's a way better question than if you die tonight, do you know where you're going? I was all, I hate that question. So I'm not talking about that. But what I am talking about is that everybody who meets Jesus and everybody who sees Jesus becomes a man and a woman who has a message. Everyone. And you know what? The message that Jesus gives you isn't manipulative. It isn't. It has a current, though. There's a ring of truth to it. There's a, there's a, there's a weight to it. There's a, there's a heaviness to it. There's a, there's a depth. It's a wide and a deep river, and it's got current. And if you've been around Jesus, people just know. People just know. You ever, you ever met a saint who had been around Jesus and you were just like profoundly changed forever? Yeah, come on. 
See, one of the things that God wants to do to every single person in this room is he wants to turn you into an Epaphras. But you can't be an Epaphras by, by worrying about a world that's going to hell. If you worry about a world that's going to hell, you become a manipulator. You do. You become a manipulator. And I'm not entirely sure that we're even giving people the real deal. However, if you see the Son of God, the one who came to you when you were most jacked up and laid down his life, the Son of God who would rather, who would rather take on your death, the Son of God who threw himself into your volcano and then was resurrected and then later came and said, you know what, Stephen, you're my friend. If you meet that guy, then you become an Epaphras, a man with a message. It requires no manipulation. No manipulation. And I believe that the Son of God wants to turn everyone in the room into a man and a woman with a message. Paul was blinded, and he was blinded into seeing. The Gadarene demoniac, one of my favorite guys in the whole Bible, so filled with demons he can't, like, I mean, the dude is crazy. We've got some of those in Campbellsville. It's not just gospel stuff. It's like everyday stuff. There's a couple Gadarene demoniacs running around out there, completely filled with demons. And Jesus shows up and the Gadarene demoniac, this is the really funny thing to me. The Gadarene demoniac runs to Jesus. The guy who has more demons than anyone runs to Jesus. That's hysterical to me. And he falls down on his feet and Jesus gets rid of all the devils. And, and the guy says, I'm going with you. And Jesus says, no, you're not coming with me. Go back home and tell everyone what I did for you. Can you do that? See, the Gadarene demoniac is probably my favorite evangelist, Epaphras, in the whole scripture. A man who met the resurrected Son of God. A man who met Jesus. A man who met him, had an encounter and just went home and told everyone. By the way, Jesus comes back to that territory later, and everybody knows who he is. Everyone knows who he is. Not only that, but thankfulness and prayer are both rooted in what God has done and is doing. Thankfulness is essentially always about seeing God in everyday life. That's what thankfulness is. It's seeing God in life. Nothing more, nothing less. Psalm 100, verse 4 says, enter his gates, right? Enter his gates. You come into his presence with thanksgiving. That's what the scripture says. If you see God in life, you encounter his presence. It's perfect sense. And thankfulness for others, the kind of thankfulness that Paul has in Colossians, comes from knowing that he has me. Now, this is a really big deal, okay? Some of us can see God in life, but there's a different kind of thankfulness that Paul has. Paul doesn't just see him in life, but it's the kind of thankfulness that knows that God has me. Like he totally has me. Totally covered. And this kind of thankfulness and awareness of God builds into us the knowledge and the revelation that the kingdom of heaven is not a zero-sum game. Do you guys know what a zero-sum game is? This is what a zero-sum game is. Uh, Richard and I play. 
If Richard wins, Richard winning means that I lose. There's $100. If Richard grabs 80, I can only have 20. Most of life is a zero-sum game. And most of us approach God as though the kingdom of heaven was a zero-sum kingdom, meaning that if God was good to Richard, he was good to Richard at my expense. This is not true. This is not true. The kingdom is so wide and so deep, and the love of Jesus is so profound that the river that runs from his hands and from his side can be good to Richard and good to me. And for God to be good to Matt and Tasha never takes away from me. Ever. Ever, ever. God has unlimited love and he has unlimited kindness and there's no need to ration. No need. In prayer, the kind of prayer that we see in the Apostle Paul, it comes from seeing what God has done. When you see what God has done in Christ Jesus, when you see the rivers that flow from his hands and from his side, confidence comes. The reason that confidence comes is because God has done a thing. He's done a thing that's changed everything. If you can see what God has really done in His Son, Jesus, if you can really see the depth and the breadth and the height to which God has actually done everything, there's a confidence that comes. And it's the kind of confidence that builds in you and I the willingness to ask. That's what prayer is. Prayer is confidence and God will do something. Most of us quit praying because we think God isn't going to do anything. That's the number one reason people quit praying, because we're afraid He's not going to do anything. The fear that God will not do anything can only exist in a mind that hasn't fully seen that God is willing to do whatever it takes. willing to do whatever it takes. You've been loved to death. He will do whatever it takes. There's no end to the mercy and kindness of Jesus. So you can ask. You can pray for other people. You could pray for other people while you're in prison knowing that it isn't going to keep God from being good to you. You can be thankful for the move of kindness in someone else's life, knowing that for God to be kind here doesn't mean that he's unkind there. That's the flow of life. That's the flow of the kingdom. That's the river that flows from Jesus' hands, feet, and his side. Amen? Amen. Hey, if we've got a ministry team this morning, why don't you come on up? I'm going to pray for everybody, and after I'm finished praying, 
If you need to respond in any way this morning, you come on up. If you're sick in your body or you just need to respond to the message, we've got some people here who want to pray for you. Not just will, but they want to. Hey, before we go on, is there anybody in the room who has never responded to the river of Jesus' love? Anybody in the room who, who has never said, you know what, Jesus, I trust you, I see you, and I trust you? Anybody? Anybody need to respond to Jesus for the very first time? If you do, just stand up where you're at. Amen. Hey, why don't the rest of you guys stand up? I want to pray for you. Father, I ask that you would open up our eyes. That we might see Jesus. Father, I ask that you would also open up our eyes. To the degree that anybody in here is swimming in the wrong river to the degree that anyone has assumed that the Christian life was one of resistance. Father, I ask that you would sweep us away in the currents of Jesus' love. Father, I ask that you would show everybody here those tributaries that run from his hands and that tributary that runs from his side and his head and his feet. God, that forms one great river with a current that will take us all the way in. God, for everybody in here who's trying to be a better person, I ask that you would sweep them away in your river. God, for everybody in here who's trying to be a prayer person, just trying, grinding, grinding their faces off, trying to be a prayer person, Father, I ask that you would Sweep them away in your river. We ask for the currents of heaven to come. I ask for the kindness and the love and the mercy, the currents of kindness, love, and mercy to come and gather all your sons and daughters. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, give somebody a high five and a hug.